to this tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about our stories with spirit and part of our Christmas emphasis. We're going to talk about John the Baptist tonight, uh, part of our stories with spirit. But let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for being here tonight. We thank you that Jesus Christ has come, God in the flesh, God Emmanuel with us. Lord, and I just pray, Lord, just for a Christmas revival of hearts. God, that's what I've been praying all month. God, that it wouldn't just... Lord, I know that people are busy. Many people in, in this December season just... Uh, Lord, aren't able to be here every service, but God, I pray, Lord, that you would move, Lord, in their bedroom, move in their car, move in their living room. God, wherever they are, that there would just be a burden for more of you, that we wouldn't get lost in the busyness and the chaos of this world's uh, order and the way things work in this world, but God, that your spirit would move, God, as January approaches, that we would just be uh, fired up. Uh, Lord, with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to enter a new year with vitality, with hope, with energy, with vigor, Lord, and spiritual goals in mind, Lord, that you have set something in motion this Christmas season in our hearts. That's what I pray in Jesus' name. Somebody said amen with me. All right. Here we are in Luke chapter 1. Join with me, please. Luke chapter 1. We're going to kind of do a little Christmas emphasis on John the Baptist this morning. You're going to think, what in the world does John, have, John the Baptist have to do with Christmas? I want to paint you a picture of the first Christmas. And Dr. Luke places us in this environment of humble and pious Jews. If we could get a visual of heaven and pretend we're back there uh, with this first Christmas and we're looking from heaven, we're going to begin to zoom in on some of the most holy remnant faithful people still available in that known world in that day. And the Holy Spirit begins moving from heaven. And Luke writes this gospel and begins to see these people, these righteous people, who are just a few of them just keeping the law. They're really true worshipers and worshiping in the temple. They're this faithful remnant. And it's been about 400 years of prophetic silence and despite that there's not been a single word from God, not a single new revelation since Malachi in the Old Testament, 400 years later, somehow some people have been faithful. 400 years of sliding off into compromise with evil men at the helm of religion, with corrupt Roman governors, with, with the Jewish leaders being bought in, into bribery, with people putting desecration up in the temple with revolts and civil unrest and murder and all these things. And in every uh, village, there's crosses being put up showing if you're trying to overthrow the Roman government, if you're standing for your true conservative Jewish values, this is what's going to happen to you. But yet, these little people in this little town have been faithful. And they begin to worship God and they are anticipating and praying for the coming of the Messiah. They are praying for a Savior to come because the world needs a Savior like it's never needed before. And God, if you don't come back soon, there might not be any more faithful people left. Sometimes it might feel like that a little bit today. God, if you don't come back soon, I'm not sure the next generation of the church is going to make it. I see what I see in our youth and our kids. I see the 40-somethings and the 30-somethings falling away at record rates. I see biblical illiteracy in the United States. Uh, just nothing. I see the, the compromise in the world today. That uh, We see the, the, the beliefs of the world in coming in on the church. 
And so here's where Luke sees a day much like today. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. If you're there, somebody say amen. Okay. Amen. Very good. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abjah. And he had a wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly. Look at your neighbor and say blamelessly. Blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. There is the faithful remnant. And so this Holy Spirit revival is about to happen. And heaven is waiting in anticipation. The scene set. The time of fulfillment set at hand. And I can just see. And, and just can you imagine up in heaven, God's like, oh, here we go. Here we go. It's about to happen. You know, the angels are like, he's moving. He's moving. God's, God's, the Holy Spirit's about to come back. Because for 400 years, he hadn't been there. He'd withdrawn himself in punishment, waiting for the time for the Messiah to come. And so heaven is just... Uh, it's like bubbling. It's like a pinball machine. They're just, they're just uh, moving. And so now the angels are getting their songs ready to sing. For the first time, they're about to reveal some new lyrics. And they're, they're about to sing of that Messiah who's about to be born. A- Gabriel is getting his messages ready. He's got his trumpet ready. You know, they're, they're moving. Things are about to happen. And all these righteous characters begin to put in play. God begins to move in this atmosphere of joy. We see angelic visitations come to pass. We see prophecy now moving back. And now the messianic age has just begun. Are you excited? Okay, I'm excited. And so here we find the, the last words of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. You don't have to go there. I'll read it for you. But these are the last, some of the last words of the Old Testament. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He'll restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And then the Holy Spirit went, poof, and we're gone. Okay, now here we are. Luke chapter 1, verse 14. It's the beginning of a Christmas revival. And so while performing priestly duties, Zechariah was gripped by fear and he saw this angel. And the angel began to tell him that he and his wife Elizabeth was going to bear a son and they would name him John. And here's what he says. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll drink no wine or liquor. And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he'll turn away many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And he's the one that's going to go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Here's the catch. To turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. And the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous as to make ready the prepared of the Lord. The angel quotes the last verses of the Old Testament. Why? Because he's bridging the gap. It's beginning again. There's something new about to happen. What God said before is coming to pass. And so Zacharias would have recognized, whoa, those are the last words of the Old Testament. These are the first words now of the New Testament. And God has rebirthed this. So he says he's going to be like Elijah. What does that mean? He's going to be in the role of Elijah and he's going to fulfill Malachi chapter 4. He says, He's not only going to be like Elijah, he's going to be spirit-filled. That's a key word right there, because that word spirit-filled is the same word Luke uses in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, when he talks about the coming of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So he says, in a sense, John will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. 
It's not the new birth like we talk about salvation filled with the Spirit. It is the full prophetic anointing powerhouse of God is going to come and fill this kid in his mother's womb. So when Luke ever says filled with the Spirit, that's what he's talking about. Okay, that's his lingo for that. And he says he's going to be like Elijah. He's going to fulfill Malachi 4. He's going to be Spirit-filled like on the day of Pentecost. And he's going to be a forerunner. That word forerunner is what they would use in ancient times for in the military. And they would use it for those guys that would run ahead of the army and declare that they had just won a victory. And they would get all the people out ready for the big parade. And so they would declare that forerunner would be a herald, we might say today. And so he would go out and he'd be saying, they're coming, the victors are coming, they're coming, the victors are coming. And they'd be uh, heralding. Or it would be that scout. A forerunner could be a scout that goes ahead and declares what's coming behind him. And so he says he's going to be this scout, this forerunner, this herald, declaring this coming of the Most High God. Okay, so Zechariah, we, if you, we won't get into the story, but he gets uh, uh, mute because of this, and, and uh, he, God just uh, gets a hold of him. And then we see Elizabeth, his wife. Look in Luke one forty one. Now, the Gabriel now visits Mary in this meanwhile, and he announces she'll conceive and give birth to the Son of the Most High, and name Him Jesus. And so Mary now goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. Maybe it was her aunt, maybe it was her cousin, we don't know. So now Elizabeth is five to six months pregnant with John, okay? And Mary shows up. And as soon as Mary shows up, it says this in Luke one forty one. Now when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Same translation, same thing. Just like on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice, and she began to prophesy of the coming of the Messiah through Mary. And then the Holy Spirit jumps off of Elizabeth and jumps on Mary. And uh, Mary begins to prophesy what we call the Magnificat. And it's the prophecy of who God is and how just He is and what's going to happen through Mary. Now get this, in this room, now all three are filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth, the baby, and Mary. That's a revival. If you show up in your living room... And all three people are, are in there and are filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody's going to say, something just happened. I remember one time in college, me and my friend were, uh, we were my roommate and I, we were uh, leaders in our campus ministry. And we were praying for guys to be filled with the Holy Spirit in our Bible study, in our small group. And we were just desperate for more of God. We began to lay hands on one another. And the Holy, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit just came down. The next thing I know, uh, he prayed for me, I'm praying for him. The next thing I know, he's on the floor in our bedroom. Just because I believe that when people are hungry for more of God, there he'll be. And when we want to have a Holy Ghost revival, it's there. It's ready. We don't got to wait for anything because right now what this is proving, what Luke is writing to you and I today, 2,000 years later, is that the Holy Spirit is back. The day of the Messiah has come. And no longer is it just going to be on guys like Moses and Elijah, and these special people. But now God is just throwing the Holy Spirit down on people. And so these that we see this is an unprecedented moment in salvation history. Zechariah is filled with the Spirit. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. John's filled with the Spirit. Mary's filled with the Spirit. Something's happening. 
Now look again. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 76. Go down a little bit. Now finally, John's born. It's about 7 B.C., we think. And it's his na- his, he's born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's a natural birth, but it's a miraculous one because they were very old and up in years. It was impossible. So it was a miracle. But then Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit again. And he begins to prophesy, and he prophesies over his son. He prophesies that he'd be a prophet of the Most High. He says that he'll go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And he'll give people the knowledge of salvation. This is key. He'd give them the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because God is merciful. He says God's going to send His light to shine upon those who sit in darkness and death, and God's about to lead His people in the way of peace. What does the Bible say about the gospel? The shoes of peace, right? So what happens here? What's really going on? All of this Holy Spirit movement, something big is happening. And what's the meaning of it? The Holy Spirit in the, in the ancient days, in the Jewish culture, the Holy Spirit is not mostly how we think about it today. The Holy Spirit was known as the prophetic Spirit of God. That's how they understood the Holy Spirit, to be the prophetic Spirit of God. And this prophetic Spirit of God was told by the prophets that it would return when the Messiah came. So when you see all this activity happening, it means Jesus is on His way. Okay? The Bible says in the last days, God will pour out His Spirit on all mankind. Young men and old men, dream dreams, prophecy on every type of man, woman, boy and girl, slave and free. The Holy Spirit's beginning again to move. And in the latter days, He's pouring on His latter rain. We know that about Pentecost. That begins, while, while we think about it beginning on Pentecost, it really begins right here in the Christmas story. What do you know? The Christmas story is much like Pentecost. And we don't always see that. And what's really going on is that none of these individuals had any of this knowledge. It was all given to them by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they were a faithful remnant anticipating the coming of the Messiah. Today, the Holy Spirit's still speaking. He's still moving. And I believe for those who are faithfully expecting the second coming of Jesus Christ, He's going to begin to pour out His Spirit like never before. He's poured it out in Christmas story. He's poured it on the day of Pentecost. And I believe when we see the day drawing near and near and near, as we see this line, this gap forming between those who are all in with Jesus and the quasi-normal, whatever you want to call it, religious status quo of the day, I believe you're going to be seeing over in this group those who are faithful to get on their knees in prayer. Those who are faithful to say, God, I'm turning off the TV. I'm getting on my face. God, I'm, I'm in Your Word. God, I'm not giving into the negativity and the politics and the things of this world. God, I'm investing myself in kingdom mission. I'm a worshiper. I'm faithful. I'm raising my children this way. I don't care what the world does or says. God, I'm going to be faithful. You know what he says? That's what I'm looking for. That's the kind of people I'm ready to pour out my spirit. And I think about it this way. Just as heaven was in anticipation mode, getting ready for that first Christmas, what are they going to be doing on the last one? Just think, what if this is our last Christmas? Come on. What if? We don't, they didn't know. But the Holy Spirit began to move on faithful remnants. Faithful people. And today, 
we're still in the revival outpouring that began that 15 months before that first Christmas. Isn't that kind of cool? The Holy Spirit is still here today. Now, I want you to I want to pull out a few things real quick for John's ministry before we just end with prayer. I want you to see some things about what happened in this young man named John. Because what can we apply today? Because like his parents, John grew to be a spirit-filled man ready for the coming of the Messiah. And he's born six months before Jesus, which is kind of probably his cousin. But let's see what we can apply from John's life. I'm going to give you three things real quick. You can apply from John's life that he learned from his parents, I believe. And he had because he was spirit-filled. Number one, John becomes a wilderness man. Let me, get, let me show you some things that happened because of this Christmas story. He became a wilderness man. Luke chapter 1, verse 80 says that John continued to grow, becoming strong in the spirit, and he lived in the desert to the day of his public appearance in Israel. So for 30 years, John grows as a Nazarite, a man with strict vows, a man who has gotten alone with God into the wilderness of Judea, which is the same place where Jesus would go to be tempted. And it's just really, it's just right outside of the city gates of Jerusalem. You can see it from Jerusalem. And so John goes out there. He begins to wear things differently, camel hair, a leather belt, eats wild locusts and bugs and, and, and eats honey. And because he's just out there fasting so much. And God begins to give John special revelation and messages from him. And this is a reminder to us, this wilderness experience is a reminder to us of the days of Israel in the wilderness because God was telling John something, that he's looking for a holy remnant who is willing to get alone with him and respond to the covenant that God was bringing and say, God, we're going to be faithful. We're going to get away from the hypocrisy of the world today. We're going to get away from the corrupt politics of the world today. And we're going to get alone with you and remember what this covenant's all about. God had to test Israel in the wilderness and God has to take every man, woman, and child who wants to be a faithful remnant to a place of wilderness. We have to get alone with God and say, God, I'm, about to, I'm going to be faithful with you. I'm going to get along with you. I'm going to be separate from the evil of society. And it doesn't matter if I have to look different. But you know what? Sometimes that's the place where God meets us most. God, God speaks most in those alone times when we just push everything else aside and we say, God, I'm going to quit this activity or quit this hobby or do this because, God, I've got to have time in my schedule, in my life, where it's just you and me. And God honors a people who today in 2016, coming up in 2017, are still willing to get in that prayer closet and get alone with God. That's where God begins to speak and move. And so God begins to speak and move. And number one, God, uh, in this wilderness man. So the first thing I want to challenge us today is, number one, we've got to be a wilderness type people. Just like this holy remnant, willing to get alone with God. Are we a people who are going into the place of the wilderness with God and saying, God, I'm, I'm ready to be faithful, just totally relying on you, taking those vows, that Nazarite vow. All right, number one, he's a wilderness man. Number two, John was unapologetically willing to preach the gospel. What we need in this last day is a group of people who are willing to unapologetically preach the gospel. Thirty years of age, John is starting ministry in a time where Satan is ruling the nation's leaders. And when John was in the line to follow his father in the priesthood, that's not what happened. John rejected following his father's footsteps, and he would have been in the priestly line. Get this. He would have been in the priestly line, some of the elitist class of Israel, the top of the top, the chief pedigree. 
John forsakes all of that and he walks out of, the, of his dad's office one day and says, Dad, that's not my calling for my life. That's not what God has for me. I know that was your calling. I'm not saying anything about that. But God, I've got to get alone with God. God's drawing me to a, different, a deeper place and I can't be in that middle of that hypocrisy. And I'm, Sometimes you've got to pull out from it and get alone with God. And so John goes off. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 2, it says, The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. The word came in the wilderness. Get that. That's a very important note to make right there. The word of God came in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Two things. He preached repentance and he preached the forgiveness. We're not here just to preach, hey, hellfire and brimstone is just repentance. But there's the good news is that, yes, we've got to repent. But two, man, God's mercy is everlasting. He's faithful to forgive. And so John begins to preach this twofold good news gospel message. And it begins to fulfill the verses of Isaiah for his life of being this one crying out in the wilderness, making the way of the Lord. And Isaiah tells us that this guy who'd fulfill this prophecy would be a guy who's preaching good news. John becomes the first person to preach the gospel message in a day where nobody else did. You know how hard that'd be? To preach the good news, the gospel message as the last Christian on earth? Anybody want that job? I hope to be out of here by then, right? John begins to do that. And he begins to preach turning from sin, turning from self, turning from society, and turning to God. He begins to tell people that God offers mercy and peace, but He's also going to punish and make low the proud. It's not just the good positive butterflies. He's, he's, not, he's taking the whole package. He begins to preach it. So much so that John is filled with the bold Spirit of God, just like Elijah. He doesn't compromise the message. And get this, he even denounces the Sadducees and Pharisees, the same people who work with his dad as a brood of vipers. And he begins to condemn them in the middle of to their faces. This is his uncles. This is his great uncles and his uh, brothers or whoever. I mean, people in their family. And this is the elite of the elite, the class that he's from. And so he boldly walks into the Christmas party that year and says, you guys are a bunch of nothings. You don't know what you're talking about with God. God's not speaking to you anymore. And you're a bunch of hypocrites. Repent. And that'd be a fun Christmas, wouldn't it? You know, I mean, he begins to just tell it like it is and say, because let me tell you, these guys were taking bribes from Roman officials. They were undercutting one another to get the, the, the next high priest and they ruled the whole country. And they were uh, taking all this money and getting filthy rich and keeping all the things from the poor. And they were really, really evil, bad men, even some murdering others to get to be the next priest. Can you imagine? And so he begins to denounce this whole elite class that he comes from. I don't know about you, but that takes some boldness of the Holy Spirit to preach to those that you come from. To say, I used to be one of you and I know what I'm, we're all in this. I'm, I'm one of you. But he tells them like it is. So John not only was a wilderness man, he unapologetically preached the good news of Jesus Christ without compromise. Something we can do today is not, we're not talking about preaching condemnation on the world, but we do preach repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And we preach against hypocrisy in the church, and we don't tolerate hypocrisy in the church, and we don't tolerate lukewarmness in the church, and we don't tolerate 
uh, uh, not caring for the poor. Like we talked about this morning, it's not all about the don'ts, but are we merciful? Are we just? Are we have the heart of God for His people? Are we truly temples of the Holy Spirit? Are we really getting on our knees and making our hearts a house of prayer? Because Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer. And if I'm a house of the Lord, I need to be a person of prayer. And so he begins to denounce all the hypocrisy that he sees in the status quo and says, guys, you really have, have missed the whole point of this good news. So he preaches the gospel. Repentance for the remission, the forgiveness of sin. There is mercy and peace with God when we deny our sin, deny ourself, and deny society. So he becomes a wilderness man. He preaches the gospel. And lastly, he becomes a herald of the king. That was what he was called to do. But you and I are called to do the same exact thing. Let me show you. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I. I'm not even fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John's ministry was six months old. Even though it was six months old and Jesus' ministry began, his goal was still to bring people into the frame of mind so they could accept Jesus Christ. History tells us John had one of the greatest ministries I've ever on the face of the earth. And only in a few years' time, probably a three-year period, John had baptized thousands, maybe tens of thousands, in the Jordan River. And this great revival had happened uh, because of what happened in John's heart in the wilderness and because he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was unwilling to compromise with the day. So much so that even decades after the death of Jesus Christ, people had still only heard of the ministry of, the gospel, or the ministry of John the Baptist. So great was his ministry, but here's why it was so great. He denied himself and he lifted up Christ. He even said, I must decrease, but he must increase. He even said that, hey, when, when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. And he began to give his disciples over to Jesus. He sent Jesus Andrew. One of Jesus' first disciples was a disciple of John. And so he said, Andrew, go follow this man. He's the Lamb of God. Then Andrew goes and gets Peter, and we see Jesus' ministry even begin. So John begins to set the scene for Jesus' ministry. How is my life setting the scene for the ministry of Jesus Christ and somebody else? How do I set the stage for Jesus Christ to take over? How is my life, my ministry, my life calling, your life calling, saying, God, we're about lifting you higher, not me? Because John knew his role was a forerunner, a herald of the guy coming behind him, the great king. And John was so humble, so humble to give it all to Jesus. So much so that Jesus even said there is no one greater than John except those who now receive the new covenant and enter into the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? John is this really, really great guy. He did something really, really awesome by being a wilderness man, by preaching the gospel, by telling people to get focused on Jesus Christ. Jesus said, man, this is a great dude, but you can be greater. Why? Acts chapter 1, verse 5 says this. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then he goes on in verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses. The same Holy Spirit that filled John in the womb, the same Holy Spirit that filled Zechariah, Elizabeth, Anna, Simeon, the same Holy Spirit that filled Mary, the same Holy Spirit that filled Jesus Christ Himself now can fill you and I. That's really the Christmas story, to be honest. 
The Christmas story is about a revival that the Holy Spirit has come down to tell the world about the Messiah. And when Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to His disciples, what does He say? Build up. John built my ministry. I've built up the church. Now, church, you go do your part. Be filled with the Spirit. And you and I today, if we're willing to be a wilderness person, if we're willing to unapologetically preach the good news of repentance and forgiveness of sin, if we're willing to herald the coming of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I can be Spirit-filled forerunners. He's come once, but He's coming again. He's still coming back. And our job is to build upon this and say, God, I must decrease. God, you must increase. Lord, I'm not the Christ, but I know one who is, and He's coming. And I want people to look to Jesus so we can say, yep, that's Him. That's the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world, and He's coming back again. That we would be that faithful and holy remnant to say, God, Lord, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want You to come back and move among us. Lord, just like You did on that Christmas story, just like the, the angels would be singing, that there would be an anticipation that heaven would be just jumping up and down ready because Jesus is coming back and the Holy Spirit's moving. And there's a group of faithful people in Gina, Louisiana saying, all right, God, we are ready to be filled with power from on high and be this holy remnant because we know we're heralds of the great and mighty King. Amen? Worship team, would you come? I want you guys to sing that song, uh, I Surrender All, we just sang, that, the new version. Let's, uh, let's just begin to bow our hearts and minds. I just want us, just the next few minutes, here's what we're going to do tonight. I just feel God just wants to move among us and just, just touch every life and that we'd be this people. We're interceding not just tonight for ourselves, but for our whole church family, for our whole community. Christmas is not about getting gifts and going through the motions and holiday traditions. It's about being a spirit-filled man, woman, and child, boy and child, uh, girl, uh, of the, whole, the Holy Spirit just to take over us, that we would be that holy remnant because that's the people Jesus Christ visited first. That's the people that had the good news. That's the people that had the Spirit of God. A people in a day not unlike today when there was a failing status quo Corruption in the world. There was a group of people that got on their face and said, God, we're looking for the coming of the Messiah. And the Spirit said, I'm choosing to fill these types of people. I want to be a faithful remnant who's waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God over and over and over again. I want the Holy Spirit to move in our church and our community to break down walls and barriers. I want us to begin to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sin that is good news. Even though the world might say, that's not good news to me, it is good news to those who would receive it and be ready for that great and mighty King who offers hope, peace, love, and joy, makes all things right again. So here's what we want to do tonight. We just want to begin to pray all across this place. God, begin to fill us with the Holy Spirit. God, begin to move in our church. Begin to fill our youth. Begin to fill our kids. Begin to fill our community with the Holy Spirit. Begin to fill Life Point Assembly of God, First Baptist, Nolly Methodist, Temple Baptist. Begin to fill all these people. May there be a holy remnant in every church. It may not be every believer is going to be, it may not be every person, but there's a group of people in this parish in central Louisiana who are ready to receive all God has for them. And let's be those people. Amen. Let's be those people. I'm going to invite the worship team to begin to play this song. I'm going to invite you just to find a place of prayer. Maybe you want to find a place at the altar. 
This first pew right here. Let's just begin to seek after God and intercede.